everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Today in Town Packers podcast. We are back after yet another heartbreaking NFC Championship loss. Uh, we're back, me and Braun. We're here to talk about it, talk about you know the ramifications of what it means for this franchise going forward. I mean, I don't even need to ask you how you're feeling, Braun. I already know how you're feeling. You're feeling exactly how I do. <laughs> but uh, how are you dealing with the loss, buddy? I'm not. <laughs> you're just not it's dealing hard. with it yeah it's, I mean, it's hard i mean it's hard you know this is it's hard because this is the uh you know this felt like the best shot it did man it felt like this was the year it felt this team had destiny written all over it this was gonna be the year we finally get to the big one and win it and same uh same story we've heard a million times yeah, I mean, it was a rough game, and the fact that it started off not great and we crawled all the way back with a chance to win it at the end, just and everything about it was just really demoralizing and not a fun one, obviously, and a hard way to end probably what looked like the really the best team that we've had since, I would say, 2011, probably. So it's just tough, and obviously all the uncertainties that we we know what's going on and who knows who's going to be back with the cap space and all different things, different situations going on, coaches being fired, who knows what's going to happen. I mean, it's just that it's a hard situation as a fan to be a part of. Yep. And it's nothing new to us here in Green Bay. Um, you know, it, This is at least the best team that we've had since at least 2014. And uh, funnily enough, it the season ended in a very similar similar fashion in the playoffs, where it's like, you know, this is the most this is the most hurt I've been after a Packers playoff loss since since 2014 for sure. I, I I don't know what to do with myself, and it's because there's not one thing you can point at in this one where you know that's the issue. If that if that didn't happen, there's there's like 20 different things, just tiny little things where if one of them would have went our way it would have been a much different result. And that's exactly what happened in 2014, just knowing that you should have won. You should have won that game. The Packers should have won this game. A million different ways they should have won this game. And now we have to sit for two weeks hearing about the Buccaneers and the Chiefs in the Super Bowl, hearing about Tom Brady going for his seventh ring, tenth appearance. It it hurts. It really hurts. And it's <laughs> it's hard to it's hard to take my mind off of it when this is like the you know, the Packers the only thing I care about in life. And we gotta deal with this. It's so painful, but I'm glad I'm glad we do this, Braun. I'm glad we're able to talk about this. I'm glad you're here with me. I mean we've we've had conversations since the game about how painful it is, but you know, you'd think you'd think by now we'd be more used to this and be able to handle our emotions better, but God, that game just hurts so bad. I mean, yeah, Griffiths, that's really what it is. And, you know, I guess, you know, let's talk about the game a little bit just because we're going to go through what went wrong and all the different things that went down. So, number one, I think things really spiraled out of control right before half. We all know how it kind of got off to a slow start. And, you know, it was 14 to 10 at that point. And there was, you know, we had the ball. There was a chance for us to score and even maybe double up, and that was the goal, to get to a point where we'd be up by a couple scores. And then Rodgers obviously threw that pick, which, you know, Lazard got held on, and they didn't call it, and that was the first of the many missed calls by the officiating. 
and then we saw so we saw that the the pick happened and then it, then we had to basically hope that the bucks didn't get a field goal and we at, at worst we could you know they'd get a field goal and then we could tie it up at the beginning of the uh, third quarter and of course we all know it ended up being these different crazy things that happened we call timeout on fourth down and then they you know then they come back and that ball gets thrown by Brady and Kevin King of course right there Mike Ev- uh, Scotty Miller touchdown and that just that was such a dagger I mean that f- made it feel like it was going to be a really hard thing to do to have to come back in this game which it was I mean you know that that was such a game-changing play I I was just so unbelievable when it happened I mean of all the things and you saw the ball in the air and so much separation from Miller on King I mean it was like you knew he was going to catch it as soon as he threw it you see the ball traveling through the air I mean wow just it's just hard to really go through that I'll I'll never forget the feeling of it was like slow motion. Well, the camera panning over to Kevin King one on one with their fastest receiver like five yards behind him, and I stand up and I'm like, "What are you doing?" I mean, everyone and their mother has touched on what a horrible call that is from Mike Pettin with eight seconds left when the Buccaneers have no timeouts. God, I mean, what can you even say about what are you doing? That is Greg Williams esque. Uh, from the Jets game against the Raiders, where they lost on a, they lost the game on something like that. <clears throat> Just a horrible. Lafleur said after the game was man coverage, man coverage. Why? Why is there single high safety and why is it Will Redman and why isn't he over helping King when Jair is on the other side and hasn't given up a catch in three weeks? Why? So many things about that play. And then why is, why is Kevin on Scotty Miller? Why is Kevin not more prepared for the? go route i mean come on just that's one of the many little things that just oh really a touchdown before halftime it was 14 to 10 make that 21 10 god dude god you're such a killer such a killer i mean that completely changed the outlook of the game from like a, like i said we could have been up going into the half and then you turn around and look, and you're down 11 points. I mean, what a tough pill to swallow. And that is really that was really the beginning of heartbreak, uh, because we would you know we would go on and turn the ball over on the first possession. I mean, and then we get down 28 to 10 after Aaron Jones fumbled for his second time, and that's tough for him. I mean, wow, he you know I don't see him coming back at this point because he turned down a, a great offer from the Packers to make him a top five paid running back in the league. He wanted, he wants more guaranteed money. It looks like, I don't know if I doubt they give it to him. So, you know, just to kind of talk about that a little bit, but I, I don't know. I mean, that, that was such a turning point and that, you know, when we're down 28 to 10, it's like, wow, I couldn't believe that even happened. You know, to get all, we get the ball back and then to just have Rogers throw it right to Jones and, and Jones just fumbles it. It was just a shocking – that was just as heartbreaking, obviously, because then you really didn't feel like they had a chance to come back. And, of course, we find a way to, and things kept going downhill from there. Yeah, we had the ball with about 30 seconds left in the first half, and we knew we were getting the first possession of the second half. That's a perfect double-up spot. We've seen it done so many times with Green Bay. 
and the Buccaneers are the ones who ended up doubling up and turning a 14 to 10 lead into a 28 to 10 lead. And at that point, I thought, I thought, oh God, this game is not, not headed in the right direction. You know, they gave me some false hope, uh, you know, as the game went on, but at that point, yeah, it's, you're definitely thinking, God, another one of these, another one of these NFC Championship game blowouts. Are you kidding me? And it's this is like what I said at the beginning, where you can't put your finger on one thing that went wrong wrong in this game. Like last year was the run defense. We got to get better there. 2016, it was the secondary. We got to get some corners for this defense. There's a million things that just, I like. What do you even, what do you even put your finger on? as the blame for this loss. I mean, you can't really pick anything out. There's just like Aaron Jones. Is he the reason we lost? He's been one of our best players for the last three years. No, he just didn't play well enough. And that's the same case for everyone. Kevin King, I guess he, if you're doing the blame pie, Kevin King probably takes home the biggest slice, but even he, it's like, you know, he's, he's inconsistent, but he's not the worst player in the world. And he hasn't been a, a gaping hole in the secondary all season long. And then other things like the refs, I guess the refs get a, a little, a little tiny piece of that blame pie. Cause that interception would have never happened. Oh God. Oh, I'm getting worked up over here, Ron. There's definitely a lot of blame to go around. I mean, first of all, like you mentioned that, uh, that, that halftime situation really changed the game. And that was, you know, you could blame that on so, the blame, even just on that sequence alone. Um, there's so much blame to go around. Uh, Aaron Jones, you know, it's, it sucks to have him perform that way in the biggest game of his career. It really does. And it's, you know, if that was his last game as a Packer in Lambeau, that's, that's really unfortunate, uh, to have him fumble twice and really not provide anything of value. Um, that's unfortunate. Definitely. Um, yeah, I mean, there were drop picks, there were dropped balls, you know, by, by the offense. Obviously, the officiating. I Griff, I'm not gonna lie to you. That was some of the worst officiating I've ever seen, and, and especially you know in a playoff game where this is supposed to be like an all star crew of officials. Um, that I was embarrassed for the league at that point watching that football game, and it's not the first time. But I felt like this was one of the worst instances of where just repeated, just negligence by the officials, and um, you know I. I don't understand it really because you're just it's blatant holds that they've been calling all year and I don't know who decided to um you know just like completely take those away from the game but it would have been nice to know you know prior to the game or at least some kind of consistency because we saw at the end of the game um on a on a play where it probably was pass interference but the ball wasn't in range for it to be caught you know it's just like the rule is just so I just don't know anything about the rule at this point because they they talk about this is the ball catchable and then that's just obviously not a factor on the last play yes King grabs and and tugs at his shirt or whatever uh, but I mean it's no more than than what happened to Alan Lazard on multiple occasions Devante coming off the line of scrimmage was grabbed on many occasions as well you know, if you watch some of the replays back on different routes that he's run, I mean, it was just, I was embarrassed for the league. Um, and frankly, the fact that they call that an all-star officiating crew, um, that's just embarrassing in and of itself. So for me, that was definitely something that I'm going to feel like took this game away from us in a large part. 
Yeah, I'm not. I mean, the refs is obviously just an annoying aspect of the game, but you know, I can't, I can't put too much blame on the refs because the Kevin King hold, it does look pretty blatant. <laughs> the thing, the thing that irritates you is that the, he threw the flag so late. So what is it that made him think pi? Was it when the ball went over his head and then Tyler Johnson just falls on the ground? Was that it? Does that make him make him think pi? And that's what makes him throw the flag because you can see it from the back angle. He watches King grab the jersey, and it's it's not really slowing down the receiver at all. He's just hanging on, which I don't know. Subjective, call it what you want there, but he doesn't it's throw the flag at that point. It. You see his shirt like stretching, but that's like it's pretty clear that he's not really being inhibited by what King is doing. That shirt is yeah. obviously very stretchy, and it's it's just being like he like you said, he's kind of along for the ride there. But the ball's not anywhere near – he's not anywhere near the ball there. I mean, the ball – Brady threw a really rough throw on that ball. And, of course, Tyler Johnson sells that thing like, you know, just a complete flop. Um, yeah, and you and, can see the refs – the ref throws the flag after he sells it. So what made him think P.I.? I, well, it could have been anything, not to mention the fact that, you know, we're all thinking we got to stop here and Rodgers is going to have a chance to win the game. Uh, <laughs> oh, my God. And then, they, and then, of course, five seconds goes by and we see the flag. Oh. And then and then it really sinks in that, okay, they just threw this flag. Unless some by some miracle they picked this flag up, this game is over. I mean, what a, what, a demo, what a way to go from thinking you have a chance with Aaron Rodgers to win this football game to now realizing the game is over. I mean, wow. Yeah. Just a, I'll never – I'll never – I'll never forget that feeling, that little <laughs> four to five seconds when they didn't throw the flag where I'm like, <gasps> oh, there's the yellow. Oh, my God. There's the yellow. The, Packers the, f- they the thing they haven't called all game long, they're going to call right here on a bad throw by Tom Brady. Of course. Yeah, I mean, that was just rough. It was so brutal. Um to have it end that way that's just so classic like Packers the way a game would end it's just wow I mean it's hard to even describe all the emotions because it truly was just a roller coaster of emotions uh throughout that whole game starting off not great then the MVS huge play from Rodgers deep ball over Carlton Davis that touchdown got us right back in the game and then you know Brady goes down and scores again we get a field goal it's 14-10 we hit the ball back, and then that whole sequence, had, you know, the doubling up at half happens um, for the Bucks, and which was wait demoralizing. That that field goal you you uh, you mentioned that's a big turning point in the game as well because that came off of a Devonte dropped touchdown, something that yep. hasn't happened all year long happens right there a dropped touchdown that's a four point swing. Yeah, not to mention the fact that. You know, that Devontae didn't have a great game on Sunday, and that was unfortunate. You know, the guys that we expect, and this is why I predicted us, you know, to win, because I just thought that game was such an anomaly. Guys like Devontae, Aaron Jones, Rodgers, you know, our offensive line, our whole season has been predicated on what those guys have been able to do and how good they've been. Rodgers is the MVP. Rodgers was really the only one that you know, who, who didn't play well last time around that actually came around to play. Um, and, and he had a great game. The one pick was, you know, I'm not going to even hold him to that too much. Cause it was at the end of the half and there was the holding on Lazard, the ball, you know, that was right there for Lazard. It was really a gorgeous throw. Um, and it just got undercut as, you know, whoever was holding Lazard had a huge grip on the shoulder of Lazard 
and then just undercut him. I mean, it, it's just what it is, you know, if they're not going to call it. I really don't blame Rodgers much for that at all. But yeah, other that, than that, I thought he had a great game. That throw to Lazard that was picked off was the same exact throw we saw in the second half to MVS where the, the defender has his head turned to him. And you know what Rodgers has always said his whole career. If I can see the back of the defender's helmet, that means my guy's open. And it was a perfect, perfect, uh, perfect example of that being true because <laughs> I don't know if you remember that throw, Braun, up the seam to MVS. I think it was yeah. in the third quarter. That was a beauty. And that was the same thing that he was trying to fit into Lazard, just MVS wasn't being held. Yeah. I mean, number one, I, I just think that to have those guys not, not play well was surprising to me. Um, Devontae specifically, because I don't I don't think Carlton Davis is a special guy. Like I don't think he's even, you know, close to Jalen Ramsey, who Devontae had a pretty he had his way with him for the most part, you know, in that in that last playoff game. Um, and, you know, Devontae had no problem really getting open much, but he, of course he was getting double teamed at times and things like that. But um, just to have, you know, they had they were missing a couple guys, especially, you know, in the back end of that secondary, those two safeties they were missing, uh, one for the latter half, but the other, Antoine Winfield, ended up missing that whole game. Um, and to not be able to really have a much more effective day passing the football apart from what Rodgers was doing with like MVS and, and, you know, Lazard made a couple plays, Tunyon had a couple plays and Devante had a few plays as well. But I just, I really feel like it wasn't as effective as it should have been. Um, and of course we talked about Aaron Jones not coming to play and then the offensive line really just having no answer for a lot of the same stuff that we saw in week six. Um, just not really an answer for it. And it was, that was why I was surprised. Um, it ended up not being like this anomaly game that I don't know what happened. It's just, it's like all that same stuff happened again. So, I mean, do you call that an anomaly? Uh, I don't know what it is. And for this game to be at Lambeau, uh, just, wow, it hurts. I mean, to have this, we wanted this and we asked to get it at Lambeau and it seemed like the cold had no effect on what they were doing in, in Tampa over there. And, it's just, you know, I don't know. It's hard. It's so hard to try to decipher what went wrong in this game because there was so many things, like you mentioned, Griff, that just didn't go our way. Yeah, the weather, I I think we all wanted it to be a, a little bit colder than it was. It was only about 28 at kickoff, 29. You know, it's it's cold, but we wanted those frozen tundra conditions, and we didn't really get that. But, I mean, God, I mean, the offensive line – that you touched on it's like they that's another thing that all year has been so good and we've been praising all year and it just the tackles it, we really really miss David Bakhtiari in this game and you could tell because it didn't matter who Billy Turner was blocking on the left tackle spot he 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 was not good enough in this game and a lot of people are upset that later in the game we stopped running the ball when it was a one score game and we could have just played our offense and we didn't run we like after the back to back Jair interceptions we we threw six passes and two punts um you know, i'm not really upset about that i'm upset about just which which passing plays we called because it was ridiculous the amount of times we were just doing you know your standard five step dropbacks with five pass protectors no help for the tackles it was that that is some mike mccarthy nonsense right there when your tackles are struggling the entire game and you're just going to leave them on an island time after time yeah i really i really agree with everything you just said first of all you know the same people that are complaining about the you know six passes in a row or whatever are the same people saying that we shouldn't have kicked the field goal and you know not that i don't agree with that but you know to put the ball in rogers hands or whatever like 
it's it, you know it's just like these these narratives people like to come up with as to why we didn't win look i'd rather i i have no problem passing definitely with you know because aaron jones was hurt and whatever like who you know who's running the ball aj Dillon, okay like jamal okay but you know if we're trying to score i don't mind rogers getting that opportunity um but it's harder when his guys aren't playing well enough specifically the line not giving him enough time you know it's i don't know there was really no solution to finding a way to get that done and and the one thing like you said griff i don't understand the just the multitude of plays especially closer to the red zone with five receivers i mean what is that especially on that last sequence to get you know where we ended up going and kicking the field goal i mean wow unbelievable to not even threaten with the run um I, in you know at the eight yard line i'm just just shocking i mean what are we, what what are we going here like what's going on uh because number one like you mentioned these tackles are not playing well enough and they're getting beaten and it's not you know they're not those are two great pass rushers Shaq barrett and, and jason pierre paul those are two great pass rushers and they obviously showed that on on sunday so when you're going to – I just don't understand. It's like these coaches, and it's not just you know not just Matt LaFleur because it's also on defense as well. We saw it all game long. It's, they're, they're playing just – they're just playing with pieces. They're just – they're playing with their scheme. They're, they just choose the plays over the players. It's just the stubbornness of coaching in this league. They just they, – they rely on, on the plays. Like they don't – they don't account for the players in the game anymore. And I just don't understand why that is. And we saw that become a, a huge issue when Rogers was left there all by himself, forced to get rid of the ball as fast as possible, or he was going to get dropped. Uh, it was just rough. I, I, I thought Matt LaFleur had not a great game, obviously uh, from a play calling standpoint. Um, and obviously we'll talk about the defense too. And I don't, I don't think either side was good enough. And you talk about the, being stubborn with your scheme and not adjusting for the personnel that you have on hand. That's something that Lef- we we never see that from LaFleur. That's one of his biggest strengths as a coach is coaching his offense around the personnel he has. And it just all went away in this one. And it's so it's just so odd that the offense we have been seeing since September just vanished at that point where we're going, why are we going five wide against what such happened great to the pass play action? What, what happened, happened to the play action? What happened to the under center stuff, the bootleg stuff? What happened to this easy stuff, the motion that we were taking advantage of against every team in the league? It just all went away for those two series, and it ended up being the most important series in the game, those two. And I I kind of get it because up until that point, Rodgers was in full control. He was dialed in, tossing dimes, hitting the open receiver on every play. And then we just couldn't block them. I think that's what it is. I haven't watched the All-22. I've been trying to stay as far away from this game as possible. But I'm I'm thinking that it seemed like that we had a lot of deep deep shots called because it's like Aaron just he, – he this year especially, he's been so good at getting rid of the ball before he gets sacked. He's protected the offensive line more than anyone gives him credit for. And he wasn't. He wasn't getting rid of the ball. He was taking sacks. He took five sacks in this game. What is going on? I don't. I don't know what happened. Well, number one, I you saw it on a lot of the replays they were showing just in the game alone, where guys were like guys were getting open, but Rodgers was just 
he just got sacked. I mean, what was he? I think he was sacked five times. And on all those sacks, the idea was to get something downfield and a guy would be open. You'd see Devante or you'd see Lazard up downfield and, and, and wide open, or at least open enough for Rodgers to make a throw that could have potentially been a lot of points. And the line just cannot hold up for more than a second. And it's just, you know, it's hard. I mean, to have that happen, it's just you don't anticipate. These coaches don't anticipate mismatches occurring. They don't anticipate players being overmatched. It's just, I don't know, it's hard to really comprehend what the thought process is from these coaches. Um, And then for Rodgers, you know, Griff, I I really do feel bad for Aaron. We'll talk about what's going on with him in a little bit, but just for this game to go the way it went, and for him, I really feel like he did as as much as he could with the circumstances and and everything. And, you know, he made a lot of throws. Uh, You know, the one to Devontae, that first one where it was that quick turn, quick you know, kind of just like a quick out uh, that, uh, that Devontae dropped while turning it, it hit him right in the hands griff i mean that's just a tough one and then the play right after Devonte kind of just i think rogers might have had lazard there but he, he wanted to go to Devonte, and Devonte was in the back of the end zone uh went out of bounds i don't know and then of course rogers hits eq um right in the chest on a two-point conversion it did get tipped it really didn't change the trajectory of the ball um but it bounces right off his chest i mean you know, just if any one of these things went right, we would have won the game. And that's the disappointing thing. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly it. But, you know, the EQ thing, that's obviously it was a it was what a five point game at the end of it. So two points doesn't really matter there. But that two points helps you out because at the end, we wouldn't have been in a position that where we needed the two point diversion. Maybe that affects LaFleur's thinking on the, the go for it on fourth down. I don't know. It's just. God, man, God, so many stupid little things that just had to go wrong all in one game. It's it's really tough. And the 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 thing is, coming out of all of our games this season, our, our losses at least, the thing you can thing you can point at where it's where we really need help on offense is oh, we need another playmaker. We need another receiver other than Devontae Adams who can get open on his own. But the MVS had 115 yards. Lazard had a bunch of production too. It's so it's it's tough to really point out what this offense needs to get better to get over the hump. I really just think in this game, the players, our best players, just did not play well enough. We needed a better game from Devontae. We needed a better game from Rodgers. We needed a better game from Lafleur. And you know the defense didn't help him out at all. But it, there were a lot of situations where we just needed we needed better play and the offensive line too, which we talked about, Billy Turner especially and Rick Wagner who just could not block anything up front. It's it's everything. Everything was just you know, we had a good day on offense overall, but it wasn't good enough. And I don't I don't know where you what you take from that. Yeah, I mean, number one, the defense. Uh, let's talk about it first of all. Um, I don't know what to make of Mike Pettin at this point. Packers fired special teams coordinator Sean Menenga. Um, you know, he'll be gone. It, and the special teams was just really bad this year. And that, you know, that put us in position to lose a couple games. Um, didn't help us any um, on Sunday. But with the defense, I don't know what Mike Pettin's situation is going to be here uh, because – 
he okay so i think what happened at the end of last season where we lost that other nfc championship game the fact that i even have to say another one is kind of hurtful but uh the niners game that was uh that was like after a great defensive year where we started to fall off at the end of the year and and especially in the run defense and then things spiraled out of control in that in that nfc championship game loss um and i i think the floor was just about ready to let go of him at that point and but they decided to i think cuz he didn't sign a new deal or anything he was a lame duck here uh this year uh with one year left on his deal um and they said look we're going to let you prove yourself here and it was a rough start for him uh in pretty much all facets uh and then the uh, you know as the second half of the season came, we started to get really tight. Probably played the best defensive ball that we've played in Mike Pettin's tenure. And then um, this th- this game happens here, and you, I don't know. I mean, they didn't run on us much, but and really they didn't. Um, they didn't. You know, Brady didn't have a great game. Obviously, he threw three disgusting, awful, terrible picks, just awful throws. Um, but he had, you know, he played well enough, I guess. I mean, he I don't know. But um, you know, I the defense just some of the things that I, you know, just watching the game, it's like just Alexander not in position to make plays and I and yet he did. I mean, he makes plays, but I just he's I just always see Alexander, you know, all the all the Bucks did many times throughout the game was just shift the guy off of Alexander and they're obviously in zone because Alexander's now out there with no receiver, and he's just kind of just sitting out there while Kevin King and Shannon Sullivan basically are, you know, man-on-man, have to cover two guys, and then Will Redmond is on the field, you know, 14 snaps in the game, and every time he's on the field, it's just a train wreck. He dropped a pick. The one chance he had to make a play, dropped a pick. I mean, I don't know. I, I I think somebody could manage the personnel of this team better, and somebody could have a scheme that utilizes its players and, and works to the team's strengths and tries to hide its weaknesses. I don't think Mike Penton does that. And, you know, there's an argument to keep him because of what we were able to do in this at the end of the season. But there's also the argument that says, can he get us over the hump without getting more great players? I don't think so. I, it's hard to really say if we should move on. And I think it's probably 50-50 if they actually do. I think that's really well said. That's really because he just he just it feels like he just mismanages his personnel. Like how much more money does Gutekunds have to spend on that side of the ball? How many more draft picks have to be spent on that side of the ball? It's ridiculous. The defense is loaded with talent, but it's it's such a zone heavy scheme, such a conservative scheme where our best players are rarely in position to make plays. And Jair is a prime example. Why is he a right cornerback? Why is he such a zone corner? Why don't we have him follow the opposing team's best receiver? Because he is locked down. We all know it. Everyone in the world knows it. Why is he spending time covering grass on the weak side of the field when the offense can just dictate who they're going to match up with? Uh, or running backs <laughs> coming out of the backfield because that'll happen. They they just they just take him away. Oftentimes, offenses by just they'll just have a running back motion out, and then like Jair's the only one out there after receiver uh, after receiver motions to the other side to Kevin King and Shannon Sullivan, 
and then Jair's stuck covering a running back, and, and he's just basically like, they're just not going to look that way at all. And then, of course, we saw Brady just, you know, make mistakes. Number one, that first pick by Alexander was just such an athletic play. I, I, I can't get over it. Um, what a great play by him to get that tipped ball from Evans. And, um, and then the next play was, you know, great as well to get the ball back for us there. But um, I just – him specifically, and he's not the only one, uh, Darnell Savage, Adrian Amos, those guys aren't utilized to their best potential either. Uh, even though Mike Pettin found a way to improve what he was doing with with uh, Savage specifically, I still think there's more to be done. I, I just don't understand what um, you know. It's hard because when you're out there with Chandon Sullivan starting, you know I've said it all along, especially with Sullivan and King. I don't really like either of those guys starting, and it's just it's the way it is. I mean, those are the two probably the two other guys that you know, besides Alexander, who else are you going to put out there besides those two? Nobody really. It's just a shame that we had to see it unfold this way um, and, and really be the demise of what we were doing on defense. King King was rough. We all know how bad he played, and I'm not surprised by it. I'm upset by it, uh, but I've been saying all along that he's just so inconsistent, and when he's not good, when he's having one of those not good days, it's very, very bad. He looks terrible. And he just got embarrassed a lot of the time on Sunday. And the same thing for Chandon Sullivan. Tom Brady and company targeted him from the get-go, right at the right out of the gate, and he was exposed. He couldn't cover Mike Evans. He couldn't cover Scotty Miller. He couldn't cover Chris Godwin. Everybody was taking advantage of him. And they've got to find some corners that can play because King is not good enough and he's out the door. And Sullivan might be on the roster next year, but there's no way we can have him starting games for us. So, you know, undrafted guy. I, it's just like, the another, you know, it's the undrafted guy thing that we're obsessed with in Green Bay. I just don't know what the solution is. Yeah, we're right back where we were when we drafted Kevin King. <laughs> Cornerback is a, is a pretty big weakness on this team. And, yeah, I mean, you said it well. The Kevin King and Shannon Sullivan, Jay, were just not good enough. They weren't good enough. And Tom Brady knew it. Byron Leftwich knew it. Bruce Arians know it. They came into the game wanting to target those two guys and staying away from Jair Alexander. And it worked out pretty well for him. There was three big plays from Kevin King that were just horrible and embarrassing. The first play on the first drive, the touchdown to Mike Evans, that was some of the worst timing I've ever seen from a cornerback. He jumps with the ball like 30 feet in the air, 20 seconds before it actually gets to Mike Evans. He's jumping and he falls down. God, that was just embarrassing. And the second one, obviously, the uh, the Scotty Miller touchdown before halftime. And then, of course, <laughs> the, the game-ending penalty just had to be on Kevin King because, of course, it was. Yeah, just not a pretty game for him. And I, I do feel bad for the guy because I, I like him. I, I think when he's good, he looks pretty good and, you know, since we drafted him, I've been a fan of his and wanted him to succeed. And it sucks that this was his last game in green and yellow, most likely. And it was beyond horrendous. Um, just like Josh Jackson, is he really bad enough to not be dressing for these games? How much worse is he than Kevin King? It can't be that much worse. And I, I can't remember who said this, but in a game where they weren't throwing flags, this was his time to shine. <laughs> 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 oh wow yeah i mean wow 
I don't understand the thought process with him either, because uh, he cannot be worse than what Shannon Sullivan or King was doing out there. Uh, like you said, I think he matched up pretty well with a guy like Mike Evans, who is is a physical guy, and I think Josh Jackson is a physical corner um, who could prop, and he's a long, big corner, Josh Jackson. I thought he would, and even Gronk too. I thought he could match up with Gronk, the kind of kind of the way Amos was. So I don't know, and it's just hard because you know what? Who was going to come in? I mean, it's it's King Chandon and, and Alexander, and the fourth corner was I think Kavari Russell um, at that point. I'm pretty sure Holman and Jackson were both inactive. So yeah, I mean, I don't know what they were going to do if um, if if one of those guys went down because Russell is just a special teams guy. So I don't know. I mean, I hope they value this position um, because I don't want to be stuck with. Kadar Holman starting next year next to Chandon Sullivan with Jair, and then teams are just going to target left and right. I don't know. It's really difficult to um, to see what um, what what the future holds at that position, and you know, I don't know. I don't know what Josh Jackson's future is either, because the fact that he wasn't dressing, especially for games like these where he might have an impact, that's not a good sign for him. I don't know what you know. He's he's on a cheap deal, but. Who knows? I mean, decisions are going to have to be made, um, and they're going to need players at that spot. So we'll see. Yeah, it, it it really all comes back to Mike Patton. This it's where this conversation began. Like, if he's out the door, I don't know how how likely it is that he's out the door. I've been thinking that it's it's pretty likely, but I I don't know considering he's not under contract. Um, if we do bring in a new defensive coordinator, that's gonna I'm. I'm looking forward to that. How Josh Jackson's able to able to perform with a new DC because I, I don't know what he did to Mike Pettin, but he just he did not like the guy for whatever reason. Wouldn't even dress him for the last half of the season. It makes no sense seeing the way King plays week in week out that he's not dressing. He can't he can't get some snaps. I think we could have used him on Sunday. Um, and just like we said about the offensive side of the ball where you mentioned that LaFleur, you know, kind of ignored the players he had on hand for the scheme. That's, it seems like Mike Patton kind of falls into that as well, where he just, he's not, he's not tailoring the scheme to benefit the players. He's just plugging them in, plugging them in and seeing how it goes. And it's just, I've said it before this season, how his, his thing is supposed to be the, the blitz. He's the blitz guy. He's going to send a creative blitz at you. You got no idea where anyone's coming from. And he just, he doesn't do that. We're, we were ranked like 26th in blitz frequency this season. I, I don't, I don't know what happened. I don't know what happened to Mike Patton, but he's certainly not the, not the coach that we were, we were hoping he would be, back in 2018 when we when we brought him in and you know Mike Mike McCarthy brought him in Matt LaFleur got the leftovers on that deal and he, this is not his defensive coordinator um so I'm I'm looking forward to who LaFleur might bring in because all the assistant coaches that LaFleur has brought in they seem to be doing a pretty damn good job and they seem to be pretty damn talented including Nathaniel Hackett who uh might be getting a head coaching job next season uh, based on the things that our offense has been able to do, and our offense is not exactly like San Fran's, it's not exactly like LA's. It's it's kind of the Packers' offense, which is Matt Lafleur, which is what Matt Lafleur promised to do when he was hired. So um, I'm I'm looking forward to who he can bring in on the defensive side of the ball because 
we saw the Rams this season. Sean McVay handpicked Brandon Staley, who's you, you, not at all what you picture as your uh, the best defensive coordinator in the league because he's young. That's you know usually associate that with offense. You kind of picture the the mean guy, the the big the big strict guy on the defensive side of the ball, fat, bald like Mike Patton. But no, Brandon Staley, and he got a head coaching job this year. He was phenomenal in L.A. So. Yeah, you know, I'm interested to see who who Matt Lafleur could uh could scour through to bring in on the defensive side. Yeah, there's options. I mean, um, a lot of people talk about Wade Phillips as a guy who's looking to get back into the uh, coaching, uh, just the coaching landscape. I, you know, I'm not sure. I'd have to look at different guys. Another one is Jim Leonard of Wisconsin, uh, Wisconsin Badgers football. People like him because he's had that defense playing well for years, and he's kind of been committed to Wisconsin. But you know, if Green Bay offers him that kind of job, it might be tough for him to turn down. Those are just a couple names. But look, I'm not even sure if if Pettin actually does get fired at this point. Just well, number one, he's not under contract, so it's I don't see. Do they really go and sign him to an extension after this year? That's hard for me to see. I mean, he's not under contract after the end of this year. Well, for me, it comes down to. The play before halftime. <laughs> that, should, that got Greg Williams fired. That should be enough right there to just end his career in Green Bay because if it didn't do it last year in the NFC Championship game where Jimmy Garoppolo completed six passes the entire game, then this has to do it, right? Yeah. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah, maybe. I don't know. I hope – not that I hope so, but I don't know. I don't know what I want. It's hard for this, for me to say because – what you know? What had the defense playing so well, where no team was scoring twenty on us for such a long stretch of time? All right, I'll tell you what, Brown. You ready? Mitch Trubisky, Jake Luton, Carson Wentz, Teddy Bridgewater, and uh, Ryan Tannehill. I best, I guess, was the best, the best quarterback we played in that span. But you know, that's like an archaic offense. It's it's not. It's not too hard to stop Tanhill if you stop Derrick Henry, especially in the snow. You know they weren't they weren't fit for that game. So uh, that was probably our most impressive defensive performance of the season. But I was saying all along, it's nice, it's good to see that we're not giving up forty to horrible offenses. But I've I've fallen into this trap before with Mike Patton. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it depends. I, I don't know what Lafleur thinks at this point. Um, I don't know. I don't know what even, you know, he might think that there isn't any better options. Like, I don't know if he has a guy in mind that is worth having this defense learn a new playbook for, you know what I mean? Like, and that's always a challenge to have a new scheme. Um, we saw, you know, Matt LaFleur came in and, you know, the Packers did what they did, 13 wins in, in the last two years. So I don't know, but it's just another, another element to the story. Um, I don't know. I, it's it's just such a tough. I haven't been this unsure about a firing of a of a coordinator um, in a while. Uh, this is a tough one, really. I really don't know what's going to happen. Well, the Chiefs won a Super Bowl last year with uh, Spagnolo in his in his first season as defensive coordinator. After I can't remember who their previous one was, but he was horrible, and all the Chiefs fans wanted him fired. So, worked out pretty well for them. Uh, I. I don't know. It's it's because Mike Patton, you know, he does get a little too much hate from me. I, I'll admit it. I hate that. I hate on the man too much. But just some things, I'm just never going to get out of my head with him. And I just I refuse to believe that he's the best option that for this defense. I refuse to believe that. 
yeah, there's definitely a case to be made about that. Um, yeah. Uh, well, let's talk about the game just a little bit here. I uh, my one takeaway from uh, what you know, just a, a good thing, a positive thing, um, was that I thought Damon Harrison played really well. Um, and it was nice, to, but you know, obviously it doesn't even matter at this point, but I'd like to see him back next year. And I don't know, I don't know how likely that is, but I know Brian really wanted to get him for a long time. So my expectation is that he could come back. And I think he, you know, if he gets integrated and is like a true starter for this team, I think that's going to be a pretty good upgrade to have. Um, and that, you know, him next, I think we should just pair him next to Kenny Clark. Maybe there's a defensive coordinator out there that's smart enough to do that um, instead of having Tyler Lancaster um, and others. Uh, I just think having him next to Kenny would be really disruptive. Um, We've talked about how those two guys are really the only two guys up front that can uh, take care of the line of scrimmage and disrupt it, um, have an impact on on moving guys at the line. Um, So I'd like to see him back. I thought he played really well, and I I think he – could have a future with this team if, if Brian Gutekunst is able to secure him on a cheap deal. Um, he's a free agent, but I, I think having him back would be something that would kind of improve the team next year, but wouldn't cost us much with you know the, all the uncertainties surrounding the cap. Yeah, Snacks played. He played all right. I, I don't know what took Penton so damn long to put him in the freaking game. God, uh, I think Lancaster got hurt, and that's what finally brought him in for like you know series playing time. But uh, I don't, I don't know if he's ready to. <laughs> I don't know if he wants to play a full season in Green Bay. He did come here for the winter, which everyone's pretty sure is the thing that was turning him off from Green Bay. So I don't, I don't know. I don't know if he's. I, I don't even know if he wants to play football next year. But uh, you know, Dean Lowry, he's most likely getting cut this off season for uh, for cap reasons. So. The interior defensive line is still a, a big weakness on this team, but it, you know, even with even with snacks in the game, the pass rush was not good enough on Sunday. Brady had way too much time on most throws, and you saw whenever he was under pressure, he was making horrible throws, and he gave us two turnovers under pressure. And but most of the game, he was just sitting in a clean pocket, just dealing, which is the last thing you want to do about Tom Brady. You know, you're looking at guys like Zadari Smith, Preston Smith, and Rashawn Gary. You know. He's only in his second year, and he played all right. But this is not what we need from the amount of capital that we've invested in this pass rush. Yeah, Kenny Clark was really the only guy that actually was able to have a, a pretty good impact on the uh, on the game for the majority of it. Especially, you know, he got to Brady for a sack, and he was really effective in the running game. I was pretty excited about how he played. Um, but yeah, Z didn't play well enough. Um, Preston, you know, Preston ended up having actually. He's been getting higher grades um, from PFF in the pass rush department for the last few weeks on Z, um, but those guys have been playing better at the you know the latter half of the year. But Sunday didn't it didn't go down like that, and uh, nobody Gary after having so many great games in a row didn't play well. Um, just it, it wasn't good enough. Uh, just you know a guy like Brady not good under pressure and we saw that on Sunday the few times he did get under pressure by Darnell Savage and, and Preston Smith you know turnovers were created um for some reason he just has a desire to just loft the ball into the air for, up for grabs for anybody um Jair took advantage of that twice and Adrian Amos also 
uh, took advantage of that, which hurt, you know, even more because we had all these chances and it felt like we were, you know, this was the turning point. This was the turning point. And to be able to get all these, it felt like fate that we were going to be able to come back. But it really um, did, man. It really felt like fate. And we just never just, I, everybody, nobody was good enough. I'll just say that. The offense didn't, you know, and I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that Matt LaFleur got away from a couple things and started doing that, you know, just the five out, you know, all wide, nothing in the backfield, empty stuff. Um, that had, a, you know, played a factor. You know, the pass rush uh, of the Bucks was really getting to Aaron, um, and that had a large impact on the game. And also just, you know, things just weren't clicking. Without Aaron Jones playing well, Devontae not playing at his best, MVS had some good downfield action, but really, you know, you can only take advantage of when he's having a good game, he's good for a few plays. He's not, you know, he's just, he's going to be a a factor on just a few plays a game. There's nobody that Rodgers was really able to go to down in and down out. And that wasn't, you know, to to not get anything on those uh, turnovers was hurtful. Um, And then just the way it ended, really just so devastating as a, you know, I, I hurt for the fan base, I heard obviously for, you know, the organization and the players, but really the fan base, um, just it's really devastating to have the emotional just roller coaster of, of, you know, the potential of getting back to the Super Bowl. It felt a lot like that twenty fourteen, sixteen nothing lead, demoralizing at the end down to a loss. Just it felt a lot like that. It stung worse because the future was a lot brighter in 2014 because we knew Rodgers was going to be around for a really long time. And now, you know, who knows what's going to happen with Rodgers over the next few years, but we don't know how many more chances we're going to get with him to field a really good team like this, that we had a special team that felt like you said, Griff uh, had a destiny to get all the way back there and win it. It It's just a devastating thing for the fan base. And, you know, my hope is that one day, hopefully next year, this team is, is good enough and somehow we improve from this year, um, both personnel-wise and from within, you know, coaching and, and just our own players getting better, that we can get back to the Super Bowl and not just get back but win it um, for Aaron Rodgers and just for really that whole the whole fan base. Yeah, this was a it was such a such a special year, man. Just every week, it it felt like twenty fourteen. Twenty fourteen forever had been. I was so young. It was like really one of my first years really watching. And it, that's always been the, you know, the the highest point in my fandom where we were the best team. And we got back to that this year. And Rodgers was playing at that level. The team around him was at that level. And uh, it ended the same way, fittingly enough. Um, yeah, it, Rodgers, Rodgers played so well this year. He's going to win MVP. That's nice. You know, if you would have told me at the beginning of the season that Aaron's going to have an MVP year and told me nothing else, I would have been happy. But, you know, knowing that we were this good, knowing we were this close to going to the freaking Super Bowl, man, it hurts. It really does. It hurts so bad to think about. And it's so hard not to think about because there are so many things like, oh, imagine if that didn't go that way. It's it's really the closest I felt to the NFC Championship game in 2014, where after that game, all I was thinking about is, God, if Boston, if Bostic just blocks on that freaking onside kick, Jordy Nelson standing there awaiting. God, if Ha Ha Clinton Dix just knocks down that two point conversion, we win the game. God, if Morgan Burnett doesn't slide on that interception, we win the freaking game. If Mike McCarthy doesn't run, 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 punt, 
like he did so well back in the day, we probably win the game. If we go at Richard Sermon, who had one arm, we probably win that game. And it, it, it's huh. a lot like that. All right, Griff, let's talk about Aaron a little bit here. This whole situation. I mean, just you know, all this stuff going on. Number one, let me just get this out of the way. Um, regardless of what ESPN or CBS or whatever, whoever tells you, um, Aaron Rodgers is not getting traded. Rodgers says all these things about, you know, his uncertain future. Um, and, you know, I think I'll be here. Uh, I feel like there's no reason I shouldn't be back. That's because, number one, he wants to be here. He wants to be in Green Bay. He's always talked about how he wants to retire in Green Bay. But he has this feeling that because they drafted a quarterback, that that isn't going to happen. And it's unfortunate that, you know, that's that's the way he thinks. Um, it's unfortunate that obviously that happened where now he feels like he doesn't have a trust in the organization. Um, that's really the, the main issue. Um, I don't know, you know, maybe they just drafted this quarterback because they really liked him and he just, they, they thought he was going to go high and he just kept falling apparently to them, even though they obviously didn't look at a mock draft. He just kept falling and falling and they just wanted to get him because he's so talented or whatever. And maybe he's just this guy who's going to be a backup and could be traded potentially at some point. I don't know what they're thinking in the front office. Maybe Brian Gutekinds will talk about it tomorrow or Friday or whatever. But I, you know, Rodgers has this like, I, I don't know why no one talks to him about it. Why doesn't he, why doesn't Brian or Matt LaFleur or even Mark Murphy, if it had to get to that point, why doesn't anybody talk to him and tell him that he is valued and he is secure and he is the quarterback Obviously, no one's communicated that to him, um, and that is the number one thing that I think is causing all this. I don't know why nobody said anything like that to him. Um, it's it's put him in in a in a spot where now he feels like he's running out of time, and and now he feels like he could be on the outs this year, even because who knows? Like, I don't know whether it's petty from him, like to try just to try to make them feel bad about picking a quarterback that he's doing all this, that he's talking like this. I don't know if he actually believes it. I, it's hard to say, but just all of it is really just he's not going anywhere this year regardless. You know, Matt, Mark Murphy said we'd be we'd be idiots to trade him. Matt LaFleur said he hopes he's here and he said he was like, "What? I hope he's here." You know, he's our leader. They both emphasized how great of a leader he is. And I hope they they consider that when it's time where Jordan Love is now sitting here and Rodgers is still playing at the best, you know, he's playing, he just played his best season of his career statistically. This is a bit of a rant here, but um, I just, you know, I hope they look at, at what Rodgers has done as a person here for this organization. Uh, you know, in response to the pick, he's been nothing but a better version of himself as a leader. He's been, you know, he's had the best attitude. Um, and now he's obviously put up something that, they couldn't even have imagined, I'm sure, um, for a season. Um, so I don't know what their thinking is. To me, you know, Rogers said the way he played didn't affect the situation. Um, you know, Andy Herman actually asked him uh, uh, closer to the playoffs, uh, you know, if if the fact that he's going to win MVP and played so well changed his outlook on his future in Green Bay. Rogers said it doesn't. 
um, just because of the quarterback thing. But I think it does. And I hope the front office realizes that this guy is the best player in football, evident by his MVP award. And I hope they don't at some point move on from him um, just because they drafted this guy. And that's my rant about it. I have a lot of strong feelings about Aaron Rodgers and the whole situation. Um, And I think it'd it'd be a colossal mistake for this organization to move on from him in any capacity until he's ready to hang up his cleats and retire. Yeah, I mean, and that's what it comes down to for you and I. Like, we're both, you know, we both love Rodgers, obviously. Everyone everyone listening to this loves Rodgers. But if, go back to April of 2020, when they draft Jordan Love, like, (laughs) <laughs> I assuming at that point they were fully expecting Jordan Love to take take the starting job in two, three years, however many years. Um, if you asked Brian Gutekunst, if you asked him uh, what what would it take to end up trading Jordan Love, it, he probably, oh, if Aaron wins MVP, ha ah, ha ha. Like who saw that coming? Guess what? He did win MVP. And now you're in a position where if you trade him, you look like the biggest joke in the NFL. He is not at the Brett Favre stage of his career. He's just not. And <laughs> I I don't know if uh, I don't know if that's enough to change their minds there with the Jordan Love thing, but you know it, it all goes back to the fact that I don't know why we're preparing for the future rather than maximizing the title window of one of the greatest quarterbacks to ever play the game. It you can't get three in a row. I mean, what are the odds that we're going to get three in a row? We could. This could be a horrible take, but what are the odds of that? Um, it's just, you know, it was irritating at the time. It's still irritating that they would do that and that they would trade up for this guy who is <laughs> probably going to, probably going to fall into the second round if we don't take him. Um, you know, I mean, in hindsight, you can't really complain about it considering the success we had on offense this year. And maybe it did light a fire under Aaron Rodgers. but, um, yeah, I'm hoping that if their plan of action was to, uh, to trade Rodgers here in the near future. I'm hoping that's not the plan anymore. And another thing, God, can everyone just stop talking about Aaron being on the move this offseason? It's ridiculous. He said one thing. He said, including myself, he said two words, and he chuckled as he said it. He's been saying petty comments like that all season long. Where you been, ESPN, CBS, Bleacher Report? This is not a new thing. And I'm watching, I'm watching that live, and my phone starts blowing up with all the beat writers. Oh, man, that sounded like goodbye. That sure sounded like someone who knows he's on the outs. Like, what are you talking about? And then... Uh, Roger says on the McAfee show, uh, no, I think I'm going to be here. LaFleur says immediately after the first interview, uh, no, he's our leader. He's our quarterback. Then Mark Murphy, the freaking CEO, says, no, we're not idiots. We're not trading him. And to see this talk still be uh, – these talks still be had in the media and – he's still in all the, oh, the quarterback carousel this offseason is going to be incredible. And Aaron Rodgers is in that list of names. God, it is so – so annoying and I don't know what it is about this guy Aaron Rodgers but he is treated like no other quarterback in the league I swear to god man it's every offseason there is some kind of drama some fake stupid I'm trying not to say bullshit it's it's every year man I mean 2018 or no let's start at uh 2019 
um, when we hired LaFleur. Oh, the Bleacher Report article comes out about him and McCarthy. Oh, he's uncoachable, horrible. It's never going to work. Then even last year, after they went 13-3 and when we drafted Love, oh, this is going to be horrible. LaFleur is sick of Rodgers' act. That's why he drafted Jordan Love. It's like, really? <laughs> Are we doing this again, man? Oh, my gosh. Wow. I mean, this guy is... I, I cannot express how different Brady and Mahomes and Russell Wilson are. Di- they're just treated so differently from what Aaron is. I don't know why. Is it, you know, he he was never a talker. You know, Russell Wilson is out here doing his thing, talking and talking, and Brady is here, you know, always. He's the quarterback of, you know, the winning team. Everybody, you know, loves him, whatever. And and he and, and Mahomes is, you know, this pretty boy guy who, you know, makes all these flashy plays that Aaron doesn't make, but, you know, Mahomes is always talking and talking. Rodgers has sat back for so many years and let his play do the talking. And the fact, you know, I don't know. Because he never talks, everybody always, you know, speculates and tries to speak for him and wonder what he's thinking. He's the most intelligent quarterback in the league you know, I can't, I can't say ever, but you know, in this current league, there's nobody smarter at the position than him. There's nobody smarter in any position than him. Uh, he just knows the game. He's not a showman. He's not this media lover. He doesn't, you know, he's not gonna, he's not gonna be this guy who gets up and gives speeches in front of cameras. He does what he does for his teammates, his coaches, his organization and himself. And, you know, he's not this poster boy that is going to be ESPN's favorite son or the NFL's face of the franchise. I mean, he's just he's not this guy that is, you know, the league's favorite. And he's still the best quarterback in the NFL. But he just gets so much hatred because why? Because he doesn't have patience for made up fake lies about him. He doesn't have the patience for, you know comments being made about the team that just aren't true about him, about his relationships when, you know, nobody knows anything about those except him and the people in those relationships. I mean, I just, I feel so much for him. Um, Not only to not get this win here, but to have all of this now, him having to deal with all this talk about just these made up trade rumors uh, with people ha- having no knowledge of anything, what you know, the cap just—he could not be traded. He couldn't, and they don't understand. People don't understand that he's never asked for anything other than to finish his career in Green Bay. He just said on the Pat McAfee show that he still dreams about that. That he still wants to be Kobe Bryant, Tim Duncan, Derek Jeter. He still wants that, and and he still has to deal with these comments about the Packers and his relationship going nuclear and and him requesting a trade even though it would destroy the Packers cap and they'd basically be paying Aaron Rodgers to not play for the team people don't care about that people don't want to talk about that they just want to latch on to hatred surrounding him um, because you know people love to hate Aaron Rodgers for whatever reason yeah, man, they they don't understand the actual logistics of it. They think Aaron is going to go into Gutekun's office and force a trade. Are you kidding me? Have they ever heard the man speak? Have they ever, like, watched an interview with him? They think he's some, like, 
college frat boy for whatever reason. They think he's an egomaniac, horrible teammate. He's a 37-year-old man with a mustache. Are you kidding me? He is not <laughs> he's not some drama queen. He's and they make him out as this evil drum drama queen, just like this this diva, like and he is nothing he's just the complete opposite. He's he's a pros pro. He is absolutely the best leader that you could have who doesn't lead by saying, you know, come on guys, let's win this. You know, he's not this. Let's win on three. (laughs) Yes. Right. He leads by example. He's, he wants all of his players to know what it's like, how to practice, how to go out there, how to perform, how to approach the game, how to work hard. That's what he does. He says, everybody watch what I do because you know, I've been through it. I've won a Super Bowl. If you, you know, I want my, my team, I'm going to be a leader. I know I have to be a leader. Uh, when, when the time comes, you know, I will talk, but I want, I want them to know how to perform and how to do it right. And, and that's what he does. He's not the guy who's just going to say the cliche thing and get everybody excited because he doesn't subscribe to that. He subscribes to, you know, doing it rather than just saying it, you know, walking the walk instead of talking the talk. That's how he subscribes to. That's what he responds to. So he knows other guys will respond to that as well. He's he's his own player, man. I've never seen a player like him. He's got the he's got the Aaron Rodgers swag. He's just he is I, and I guess maybe that maybe the media has never seen anything like him either. So they treat him as the villain of the NFL every every single offseason. Um I think uh, I think we've hit on everything here, Bron. I mean, I think I I've enjoyed this. I've enjoying um you know, kind of divulging all my sadness and everything I've been thinking over the past few days. Uh you got anything left to say? Well, look, there's a lot of questions about, you know, not only just, you know, I don't know what with Aaron Rodgers, there's rumors he wants a new contract. And I hope that's true because I want him in Green Bay for as long as he wants to be here. Um, if they, you know, I, I expect it to be some kind of thing where Rodgers wants more security because he feels like he feels like he could be getting forced out. And if the front office is smart enough to realize that they've got the MVP and they have the privilege to have this guy playing quarterback for them, that they should, A, give him more money. Um, and look... Let me also say this. People talk about Brady takes pay cuts. Breeze took a pay cut. Peyton Manning took pay cuts. That's because they had roster influence. Brady gets to bring in any guy he wants. He got Gronk out of retirement. You know, he got AB out of, you know, whatever situation he was in. He gets to pick and choose guys that he wants. They don't give that to Aaron Rodgers. So if they don't give him any any input about the head coach about the draft about free agents if they, you know especially guys his own guys leaving he didn't want Randall Cobb and Clay Matthews to walk out that door you know he didn't want Jordy Nelson to get cut i i, I mean they he doesn't he doesn't have a say so if you're not going to give the league's best player the most intelligent quarterback if you're not going to give him a say on anything that he should be involved in since he is the leader of the team, if you're not going to give him a say in that, then he should demand top dollar because that's what he's worth. And I'm sick of this, you know, Tom Brady's wife makes more money than him. She's a she's a model. She makes tons more money than he does. 
he can afford to take pay cuts. You know, Rodgers wants to get his money because if he's not going to get involved in those decisions where he would sacrifice money to potentially bring other guys in, he has no reason to do the organization any favors. I don't blame him for that at all, and I don't get that that situation where he should be taking pay cuts to get guys on the team. They, he, he, he wouldn't be getting guys that he even wanted in the first place. Uh, so for me, that's one point that I wanted to hit on as well, Griff. Well, yeah, and the contract he signed two and a half years ago, he's already underpaid. <laughs> he's, I think Tom Brady's yeah. making more money than he is. I think Breeze made more money than he did this year. I he's mean, making he's making the same money as Jared Goff. Yeah, I mean, I get it from that standpoint, but it also helps the Packers' cap flexibility too. So it's beneficial for both parties. It gives him insurance that he's going to be the quarterback of the Green Bay Packers for longer than just this year. It gets him more money in the future, more guaranteed money up front, and it helps our cap space this year when we have a lot of free agents to make decisions on and we have, quite frankly, a lot of holes on this roster that we need to fill and uh, with some kind of veteran presence. So a contract extension there would definitely be very beneficial for both sides. Yeah, of course. I definitely agree. And the other thing, too, is the fact that the cap space, like you mentioned, creating cap is going to be important. Uh, but there's really we really have no idea what the cap is even going to look like because, you know, there were talks of it going down a lot of, you know, a lot. And now there's talks of it where it could even, you know, stay pat or even go up incrementally over the course of the next so many years. It could still even, you know, sit at that number that it was last year. Um, and it's there's really like $30 million in the balance here, and that's a lot of money, obviously. Um, so we'll have to see what it actually ends up being. The Players Association is going to have to come to agreement with the league about, about where the cap will sit. Um, but so much is in the air right now. It's it's just really hard to put a point uh, on what you know who's who can come back from the free agents we have, who uh, who you know how much money we'll have to spend on other free agents. Um, and there's just a lot of different situations going on. And I think this is going to be one of the craziest off seasons we've seen, if not the craziest, just because of uh, teams potentially having to make some really tough decisions like cutting star players. Uh, to save money, including a team like the Saints, who are $100 million over the salary cap at this point. Uh, so teams are going to have to make a lot of tough decisions and, and maybe cut some elite talent. And I think that's where we could see a way that Green Bay adds some players, some veteran presence uh, into some of those holes, like you mentioned, Griff. Yeah, we're gonna we're gonna be getting into that, all that stuff down the line here. Uh, we'll be here th- throughout the throughout the off season, you know, draft, free agency, you know, we'll be talking about all this stuff. And training camp will be here before we know it, Ron, and hopefully in a much more normal season. That's exciting. It's gonna be you know fans next year. Might mean you might to uh, might get to go to training camp. We've been talking about that for years. So maybe I don't know. We'll see, but. That's going to do it for today's episode. Um, I, I've enjoyed this, Braun. I've enjoyed having someone to, to talk to about my pain. When will the pain end? I don't know. Hopefully soon because it hurts. <laughs> still still really bad. Mm-hmm. Thank you all for listening. Uh, we'll be back here probably within the next couple of weeks at least to just you know give give you all a little uh, little preview of what we have in, have in store for the offseason in Green Bay with free agency, draft targets, needs, all that kind of stuff. We'll be here. Um, thanks so much for listening. Thanks so much for listening this season. It was a great season. I've loved doing these every week of you, Bron. And uh, hey, cheers to Super Bowl 56. We've been saying that for a long time. <laughs> um, yeah, that's going to do it. iTunes, Spotify, YouTube, subscribe. 
Go Pack Go. Yeah, thanks, everybody. What an incredible, magical season that came to a devastating halt. Um, but just really a special year. Um, we all felt it. This was the year, and, and it, of course it didn't end that way, but still very special memories and moments that we'll look back on. Uh, great to be able to talk to everybody every week and and just really have a lot of exciting memories. Um, and it really was just a great season, and we appreciate everybody for listening. Always go Pack Go, and we're looking forward to hopefully finding a way to improve uh, you know, on this offseason and, and just find a way to get back to a Super Bowl and win it. So thank you, everybody, for listening. Go Pack Go. Go Pack Go.